0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And of course, in talking about the Kingdom of God, we also talk about the kingdoms of the world and uh we know that the kingdom of god where jesus is king is not a part of the kingdoms of the world it is separate from the world it is different than the world it is different than a lot of things uh we have today a thing we call the church and it comes in a variety of different forms and styles and and um uh, doctrines and uh, it's Is it anything like the early church, the church established by Jesus Christ? Is it anything like the church in the wilderness? Because we had the church in the wilderness, and it was uh, the Levites. And the Levites provided some sort of function and service that helped keep the nation of Israel free. And it was... You know, that these Levites were appointed to do something. We have an image of what they're supposed to be doing. Was, is our image in conformity to the truth? To reality? Or have we been cunningly coerced into believing something that is simply not true? And that, that's something that we deal with, uh, on a regular basis, uh, in order to figure out what the Bible is really talking about. And, of course, what it's not talking about. And uh, that is a part of uh, the process of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what what is that kingdom of God? What is his righteousness? What does it look like? Somebody was uh, just talking. I just sent out a message on Facebook on a a particular group that is kind of a home church group. And uh, somebody brought up the idea of religion. And uh, that, uh, you know, that we're replacing Christ with religion. Well, what does he mean when he says religion? What do you mean when you say church? What do you mean when you say home church? I mean, every words are symbols of ideas. That's one of the first things I ever wrote in a book, uh, The Covenants of the Gods, is that words are symbols of ideas. And I, I was just quoting Samuel Johnson, who was the guy who kind of wrote one of the first dictionaries in English to define words because people people redefine words in day-to-day use all the time. So you need a kind of a dictionary in order to figure out what what are people talking about when they use these words like church and religion and, and pure religion and, I mean, what do these things mean? Because if they're symbols of ideas, if I say church and you're a Jehovah Witness, you're going to think something different than me. If you're a Catholic, you'll think something different than me. If you, you know, whatever religion you belong to, they have a little bit different idea of what they think church is. And they equate that word with an institution, uh, with a building, with religious practices. And we just used another word, religious practices. What is religion? Well, according to James, religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. You know, widows and orphans who are often the needy of society because most of society was taken care of by their families. You know, the if you married into a family by marrying somebody's son, you fell under the protection of the father of that house. Uh, if your husband, you know, if you had a child and your husband died... You were now a widow. The father of that house and all the brother-in-laws of that house and your unmarried sister-in-laws would all help you take care of the child because you were a part of that family. That was social structure. You can go back to ancient, ancient times, and that's the way things were done. Well, something took place. It's actually taken place many, many, many times throughout history where the state takes on the position of the father of the household. In order to do that, the state has certain uh, excusia, certain liberties, certain rights to choose for the people, because the state has taken over the right to choose for the individual fathers. I mean, there's only so much rights. And if the state has more rights, someone has less rights. And so... What was happening under the emperors of Rome was that the state was taking on the role of the father and was providing for the welfare of those widows and orphans and needy of society. And they did it through a system that they ran through their government temples. The temples were all government buildings, not all the temples, but many of the temples were government buildings built by the government to provide for the needy of society. They did a lot of other things. One of the temples was more like a stock brokerage, uh, an investment house. Others minted coin. But these temples, that's what they were. Is they were government buildings to provide the services of society with the state in the role of the father of the household. And the fathers of the household had less rights because they had less responsibilities. Those responsibilities were now cared for by the state. This made the state more and more and more powerful. Rome was around for 500 years before Christ came on the scene. 50 years, or actually less than 50 years before Christ came on the scene, the first Caesar arrived. He wasn't the emperor yet, but he would become the emperor, the imperator, the commander-in-chief of the military with augustus caesar whose name was not augustus and was not caesar augustus caesar's real name was octavius uh, he took on the name of caesar which was actually an office after julius caesar and he took on the name augustus because he was the savior of rome well the savior of judea the savior of the jews was jesus christ some jews recognized him and became citizens of Judea with Jesus Christ as King of Judea. Jesus Christ as King of Judea. Jesus Christ as King of Judea. Which is the way Rome looked at Jesus Christ because it's the way Pontius Pilate saw Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews. Well, all the Jews didn't live in Judea. Many of the Jews lived all over the Roman Empire and they could claim citizenship under this king, called Jesus, but the government of Jesus was different than the governments of the world, most of the governments of the world at that time, the world being the constitutional order and system of government under the Roman Empire, the world was gone socialist, it was taking in taxes, taking in revenues from nations that they conquered, and redistributing the wealth through the government temples. Christians who followed Jesus did not do that. They were not going socialist. They were rightly dividing the bread from house to house. Who was doing this right dividing of bread from house to house? It was the church who had been appointed a kingdom By Jesus Christ. Who was the church? It was the called out. Who were the called out? Well, we know at least the 12 apostles were called out. We know that there were 70 who formed a uh, part of the government of Jesus Christ. Because who? Why 70? Why, Why did he send out 70? Why did he appoint these 70? Who else appointed 70? Moses appointed 70. So... That was called the Sanhedrin. And Jesus appointed 70, and there was another group of 70, the Sanhedrin, who claimed to be the kingdom of God on earth. You know, the, the Israelites, the Jews, they claimed to be that. But according to Jesus, they did not know Moses, or they would have known him, because he was telling the same thing that Moses was telling people. So today we have a lot of people calling themselves Christians, but their view of Moses and what Moses was doing and their view of Jesus and what Jesus was doing and their view of the church and what the church was doing and their comprehension of this word religion is different than the early church. It's different than the early Christians. They are actually doing more of what the Pharisees were doing. Because, you know, like I said, I just posted something on, on a Facebook group where they, you know, I had posted something the day before or a couple days before because somebody had uh, said something about religion and, and so I explained what religion was, which I just explained to you. It's, it's how you take care of the needy of society. I mean, the definition of religion just 200 years ago was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. So the duty to God is to love God, to be like God, to obey God. That's your duty to God. What's your duty to your fellow man? To love him as you love yourself. To care for him as you care for yourself. That's your duty. Religion is how you do that caring. If you do that caring by electing men who force the contributions of the people you're doing contrary to what John the Baptist said to do You're doing contrary to what Jesus said to do. You're doing contrary to what Paul said to do. You're not living by charity. You're providing for the needy of society in public religion by force. So, guess what that means? Logic would tell us you're not a Christian. You're not following Christ. You're taking care of the needy, the widows and orphans, by force, not by love, not by charity. So if that statement I just made is true, most of the people claiming to be Christians, at least in the United States were, you know, I'm, I'm living in America, and so I see that most of them are not providing for the needy to faith open charity. They're providing for the needy to force fear and violence through a government that has taken on the role. ...of the natural father... ...because he's taken on the responsibility... ...of the natural father... ...of taking care of his family... ...and his... ...you know... ...the widows and orphans of his family... ...the family in America is in a horrible state... ...now there's some good families out there... ...but generally speaking... ...people cannot rely on their parents... ...if... ...you know... if, ...if a man was to marry a woman... ...and have children... ...and suddenly became sick... ...or dying... Would he go to his family and say, hey, you know, uh, I can't work. I, you know, will you help me out? Would they think that that's our job? Or would they think, oh, no, go to the government? It, do you go to church? You know, because sometimes the, the father may be dead. The father may not be well off. He, he, it's You have 10 kids and he's 89 years old. <laughs> and you've never tithed to your father. You know, you never, you've never honored your father. To honor thy father and thy mother means to fatten them, to take care of them. Most of the kids in the world today owe their parents. They don't give their parents anything. They don't take care of their parents. They, they put their parents on social security or social welfare rather than actually take care of their parents. I know some people say, well, I've gone home to take care of my mom and my dad, but they actually are being taken care of by their mom and dad and their Social Security (laughs) check. They might be helping out a little bit, but they are not honoring their father and their mother. They're not strengthening. They're not giving them the, the money that they might need to live. They have to get it either from the government or continue working. They they cannot retire uh, with their children taking care of them. It, most of the people I know, that, like I say, the children owe their parents and have done nothing to pay their parents back or very little. It's a different kind of society than it was at the time of the early church. But there was that kind of society like the society we have today in the early church, and that was Rome. Rome would rightly divide the bread from house to house or do what they think is rightly dividing the bread and they would have their free bread and, I mean it wasn't just bread, it was cheese, wine, money. They would give all these things away through the temples. You were a member of the temple, you would have a little, a little clay tessera that would show your membership and you show that and you get free bread. You get, you can actually go to the games sometimes and sit in on the, you know, the entertainment provided by the government. Christians didn't have that. They were not members of those temples, and they were persecuted often as time went on because they would not join those temples. But they had social welfare. If the family could not take care of the widows and orphans, they had a, a network of charity that could do that. That was the early church. Modern church doesn't do that. They just send you to the government. They're, they're workers of iniquity. They're doing contrary to what Christ said to do. They need to change. They need to repent. They are in need of repentance. How many will want to do that? How many have the humility to even admit that that's what's going on in the world today? You know, someone wrote once that socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. And socialism has become the religion of today. What you're doing in your churches is you go to your churches to have your ears tickled, to feel good, to get a spiritual, emotional feeling. Even the home churches, they gather together to get this emotional feeling of camaraderie and fellowship. But if they actually need any kind of care, social welfare, medical care, whatever, they go to the government and they ask the government, help me. Because the church isn't going to do it. Oh, they, they'll they do some token charity. They'll send money to some orphan in Mexico or Africa or South America. They'll help out. You know, they'll give a few uh gifts of food now and then to people who are on Social Security and are widows and orphans. And, well, that's okay. But... That should only be a start. That is not your goal. You're not seeking the kingdom if you're content with that, if you feel good about that. I want you to feel not so good about that if you're not the entire social welfare of your congregations. That's going to take a little work. At the time of John the Baptist who said if you you have two coats and your neighbor has none share, which is setting up the way of the kingdom, the way of the church, the way of righteousness. You know, pure religion. Uh, this is something I just actually sent off to, uh, to somebody on Facebook who said, uh, you know, he actually agreed with the original post that I made. And he, he was saying that, yeah, true religion. He started saying, yeah, James wrote about true religion. Uh, well, actually he used the word, uh, Catharos. Uh, A Greek word, katharos, which was translated pure. Most of the time it's translated pure. It's also translated clean. Uh, One time it's even translated clear. So it appears like 28 times in the Bible. It actually can mean ethical. Levitical sense, they say it means clean, but it really means ethical. And when they say the word clean in Leviticus, they're talking about ethics as well. What is right? You know, uh, free from corrupt desires, free from sin, free from guilt. Well, if you're providing for one another through force, which is what socialism is, then there's sin because you're not supposed to be taking away the right of others to choose. You can't have a free society and socialism. Socialism does not produce free societies. It does not pr- produce free individuals. It produces bondage and it empowers government. It empowers the fathers of the earth. And, and the power corrupts, and this is why Stalin killed millions of people, this is why Mao killed millions of people, because they became corrupted by their own power. Uh, And not just Stalin, but you can go back to the earlier days of communism, where they, you know, they were killing too, and killing and killing and killing, because they were operating by force. Christianity gives life. The problem is, most people calling themselves Christians today are not practicing pure religion their religion is spotted by the world now this spotting began way back you know 1910 1913 you know i'm throwing out these days because certain things took place in government where government was taking on the role of the father the role of the family the role of society in free assemblies and began to operate by force and public school was a part of that uh, public health was a part of that, welfare, you know, under FDR, uh, war under on poverty under LBJ. All this was putting more and more power into the hands of the government and less and less responsibility back there in the family and in the free assemblies of families that we used to call church. Or congregations. We like to use the word congregation referring to the free assemblies because people are freely assembling in a congregation. It's not a corporation. It's just a free assembly. And they're doing so to practice pure religion, which is this ethical way of taking care of the needy of society. Now, we've been talking about Corinthians. We've gone all the way through 1 uh, Corinthians up into chapter 16. And... Uh, we're going to go into 2 uh, Corinthians, which is a decidedly different letter to the Corinthians. And we set the scene that Corinthians were not really Corinthians. Corinth had been absolutely, utterly destroyed uh, over a 150 years before Christ. And all the men were killed by order of Rome. And all the women and children were sold into slavery exactly what that means and exactly how that took place. That's another story. But basically, Corinth was gone. And about 50 years before Christ, a little less than 50 years before Christ, Caesar, Julius Caesar, who was not emperor, Julius Caesar never became emperor. He he was coming in on the Ides of March to become the emperor and they got stabbed to death by his friends. Uh But Augustus took his side eventually and destroyed his friends, confiscated all their wealth, and that was the first emperor. But he decided, let's start Corinth again. We could use a good Corinth there. It was a very important strategic trade route. And so they said, okay, people can now move and create a new Corinth. And that was going to need money And it was going to need incentive. Of course, there was the incentive that you could make a lot of money by establishing a new Corinth because it was a very lucrative location. And like they say, location, location, location for trade. But they also needed to, in order to do that, you need other people to come there. And so you needed incentive. So you could be a little freer in Corinth than you could almost anywhere else in the Roman Empire. And this is what they were offering. They did the same thing. George, King George did the same thing. Even King James did the same thing in America. You could be a little freer here in America than you could anywhere else in the Roman Empire, in the British Empire. And so that's why people came here. But not so much today. More when we come back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So like I said, we, we went to First uh, Corinthians, and now we're going to go to Second Corinthians and take a look at that. But we want to do it in a way in which we get an idea of what the early Christians were doing. Moses led tens of thousands of people to freedom, created a nation in which there was no taxation. Uh, I mean, there was actually one tax. One tax. It, it, it was the equivalent of half a dime. And it was given once a year. And, uh, it, it was literally, figuratively a tax. It was a head tax. And it was your ante up. I'm in the game. You know, I'm, I'm a part of what you guys are doing. And it was like a half a dime. That was it. The total. Per head. You know, and probably that meant per head of household. So every household. Your, your father or your grandfather, if he was still living, he owed a half a dime everybody else is in. Now, some interpret that that every head of every household was in, but in the reality of the the way in which the family structure was, because it was a patriarchal society, the only true head of a family was the eldest grandfather of that family. Everybody else was under his authority. Now, When his sons got married, they were starting their own household, and it was what the English would eventually call a frank marriage. The father didn't meddle in that family. He was there to serve that family and strengthen that family and help that family. But at the same time, that family was to honor their father. Their who might be their father might even be their grandfather. You, if you were going to give to your grandfather, you would give to your father, and your father would give to your grandfather, and your grandfather could retire. And retirement age for Israelites was fifty-five. <laughs> Yet they lived often. It was amazing to most of the other people. Israelites had uh, life expectancy, not counting you know other interference, but the. They often lived to be 70, 80 years old. It was very common for them to do that. The life expectancy in Canaan was like 40, 45 was an old man in Canaan and he looked like an old man and he walked around crippled often by the time they, you could be crippled in Canaan by the time you were 35 years old. Why? Well, there was a lot of contributing factors to that, but the, in the food laws, they were made immune to many of the problems, health problems, and issues in what we see in going on in Canaan. Well, there are many health issues today in the world. Uh, the the you know autoimmune problems, the uh, uh, mental problems. I mean, autism is pandemic. Uh, mental problems are pandemic, uh, autoimmune is pandemic in this country, never existed at the levels that it now exists today. Why is that? Well, because we are violating, we are adulterating our bodies for lots of reasons. And we'll talk about that. We're not going to go off on that subject. But that was the problem. Many of the health and dietary problems with and hygiene problems with canine were overcome in the basic food laws, of uh, that has been set up by Moses, because he knew where the problems were coming from. Now, though, a lot of those problems that they had back then, we don't have today. We may have them again. There, there's evidence that they're coming back. <laughs> but and, you know, we see feces on the streets in in San Francisco and Los Angeles because the hygiene problems are are have come back. You know, it isn't doctors who saved us. It's plumbing that saved us. You know, but anyway, that's another whole story, and we'll talk about that at other times. We want to stick with Corinthians. What is so different about Second Corinthians over First Corinthians? Hopefully in the second half of this show, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what you can do and how you can start forming a... Uh, a society according to the christian principles the cr- christian precepts the uh, ethics of christianity uh, but uh right now we'll look at corinthians and and we're looking at the second corinthians it's a much shorter book uh, or epistle is it's far shorter uh the original one was like what was it six thousand eight hundred and thirty words long of uh, 1 Corinthians, and there were probably four letters to Corinthians, but we only have two of them for sure, but 2 Corinthians is only 4,400 words long, so it's it's a lot shorter, but what I found interesting is that love is mentioned in 2 uh, Corinthians a, a, on a ratio basis far more often than it was in 1 Corinthians. And, uh, and specifically the word agape, or in the verb agapeo, that it's far more present per number of words written to the Corinthians than it was in 1 Corinthians. So, that alters the theme. He's talking about something. Not to say that he didn't also mention, uh, you know, he had these long lists of people to have nothing to do with and And you know, that have these characteristics in their life, these practices in their life, these unethical, you know, the backbiting and the uh, revelry and all this stuff, he says, have nothing to do with them. Turn away from them. He says that he's even in Romans, you know. And he had those lists. He does make reference to those lists at the end of the Second Corinthians, which we'll see as we go through it. But he was talking about love. But a particular kind of love, agape. And the word agape is translated charity a lot of times. Specifically when Paul mentions it, they translate it charity. Yet, if we go back to our study on 1 Corinthians, he points out one place that though you give everything you have to the poor and needy, or half of everything or huge amounts to, to the poor, and you have not charity... You've got nothing. He put so much emphasis on charity, but how could you be giving everything you have to the poor and not have charity? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Isn't giving to the poor charity? No. Agape means something more than just charity. You know, it's defined as a noun, as brotherly love, affection, goodwill, love. But that's not it. None none of those really describe agape. The last word they put in the definition, at least in the concordance, is benevolence. And what is benevolence? That you actually do something for, give something to, help somebody out. And this is essential for early Christianity. That was agape. That you not just give what you have to the poor, but you actually do it in a way where it's benevolent where it strengthens them because LBJ gave lots to the poor in his war on poverty but he ruined the black community and and many parts of the white community because welfare weakens people these government benefits given improperly weaken the people the church isn't in that kind of charity business Uh, the government's never in the charity business it's in the redistribution of wealth business because it uses force But the church is a government that does not use force. It uses love. (laughs) Agape. You know, as a verb, agape, or let's look at agape still as a noun, but in the plural, because it's also, it can be not singular. Singular, it has to do with benevolence, but in the plural, supposedly, according to definitions today, it has to do with feasts, expressing or fostering mutual love. Poor Christians mingled with wealthier and partook in common with the rest of the food provided at the expense of the wealthy. And you see this in uh, Jude twelve, in Second Peter two thirteen, in Acts two forty two, in First uh, Corinthians eleven. We saw it in verse seventeen through thirty four. This this communion, this common union through sharing of food, and we 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 mentioned. Justin the Martyr who was describing the early church in 150 AD that those who had the wealthy amongst us, those who had shared with those who did not have enough. And that's how they got through. Because see, they were being persecuted because at that time they were being persecuted because they would not join the temple welfare system run by the government, which was what we would call welfare... Um, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, all these things are welfare provided by the government. And you've got to have one of those Social Security numbers. A lot of times to get into school, etc. Sometimes they want to see it even before they treat you at a hospital because they're going to tap into the government aid to pay for your bill if you don't have enough money. Christians should be doing all that in-house. That's an unspotted practice of religion. I don't know hardly anybody who does that. Maybe the Amish. I don't know. Uh It appears that they do do some of that. They really do take care of one another. All Christians should be doing that. If you're not doing that, you're not doing what Christ said. You're not doing what the early church did. You're doing what the Pharisees did, which you're relying on men who exercise authority one over the other in order to take care of the needy of your society. Now, there is another word that and which it deserves at least a brief mention because it does appear one time in Corinthians. It does not appear in second Corinthians it appears in first uh, Corinthians and I think it appears in chapter sixteen verse twenty two If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be an anathema an anathema means cursed, set apart, you know that's the turn away. Mention that we've seen from Paul uh, to others in other letters, you know, from such turn away, anathema, curse, set them aside. And then he says the word maranatha, which means the Lord will come. But those people should be set aside. Those are the workers of iniquity because they love not the Lord. But that word love is not the same agape word. That's that's a a different word uh, that's love. And actually it's even translated kiss. At least three times in the Bible. But, uh, it's, uh, filio. And it's, you know, it's, uh, to love somebody, to approve of somebody, to like somebody. That's a different kind of love. And although both words can be translated into love, they don't mean the same thing. Uh, because thieves and robbers have filio. They have that brotherhood. Uh, and, you know, uh, loyalty to one another. Uh, you see it in nationalism, you know, the communists, uh, you know, they, they love the fatherland, uh, the, the Nazis love the fatherland. I guess the, the communists, they love the motherland, and, uh, the Nazis love the fatherland, but it's the same principle. That love's not bad, but it's not necessarily good. But he says love Jesus Christ. Well, how do you know you love Jesus Christ? Cause you say you love Jesus Christ? No. You love Jesus Christ because you do it the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that you allow your brother to be free and you even help take care of your brother when he is in need. That's, you, you don't bludgeon him over the head. You don't beat him. You don't send people to his house to take away from him so that you can have what you want. You don't do that. If you're doing that, you're not a Christian. You, and if you're doing that, you don't love Jesus Christ. You can tell me you do. But what you're doing is also telling me that you don't really love Jesus Christ. And over and over and over again in the epistles and of Peter and John and Paul, they're telling you you need to check your faith. And we'll see that in 2 Corinthians because he warns them. And uh, when we get to that page, I have links to articles that show you lots of the places. I don't show you all the places that you are warned to check your faith. Well, one of the ways to check your faith that you really love Jesus Christ is are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you agapeo, your neighbor, taking care of your neighbor, providing for your neighbor when he is in need? Or are you sending them to men who exercise authority one over the other? They They may call themselves benefactors. But they're simply redistributing wealth. That's You can't be a socialist and a Christian at the same time. You cannot do that because socialism uses force. You can do something that looks a little bit like socialism, but what makes it different than socialism is it's based on free will offerings, which, of course, takes us back to John the Baptist. Everybody else was doing it by force to establish the, the utopia of God on heaven, on earth. The kingdom of God on earth, the kingdom of heaven—that you know—that's kind of means the utopia of the world by force. But John the Baptist was saying, "No, do it by free will offerings." And of course, that's exactly what Moses had said: do it by free will offerings. But that's not what the Pharisees were doing. Their system of sacrifice was making the word of God to none effect because it was by force. They were compelling. And we've explained that. We talk about the Gabai and the Molokai and the, and how this was all set up with the Pharisees. But most people don't know that because most people haven't listened to our three, four hundred audios <laughs> that we have been making available. They need, they need to find out that they have cause for repentance and need to change. And like I said, we'll, we'll talk about how you can start to implement that change in your life. I can't do it. You're not going to do it simply by studying but by studying, at least, it will help you set down some of your preconceived ideas that are simply not true. And so, in order to get to, like I said, Second Corinthians is much shorter, so it won't be as hard to get through. But in order to get through, we ought to get busy with it. And so, it begins with the salutations to the saints. And, of course, then you have to, another one of those words, saints, What's who's a saint? What's a saint? We have a preconceived notion of what a saint is, but it's not what you think. And so, at preparingyou.com, we have the whole Bible, and we're going through it. It takes thousands of hours to go through it, and we're not going to interpret it for you. The Bible's not given to private interpretation. We want the Holy Spirit. You're not going to hear what I have to say if you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. And so when you sit down and read the Bible, you better make sure the Holy Spirit is sitting down. And not the spirit of vanity, not the spirit of pride, the spirit of control, the spirit of fear, but this Holy Spirit. And there's ways to check if the Holy Spirit is sitting down with you. And one of the ways is our, what kind of interpretation is the Holy Spirit showing you? It should be, in my opinion, my humble opinion in conformity to what I'm telling you. But I don't want you to believe me. I want you to follow the Holy Spirit. And I put down a lot of information, a lot of links to articles that go through these words using their definitions, using the King James Bible. You don't have to use the King James Bible, but for consistency, that's normally what I use. You know, I, I use their standard concordances. I'm not making up new definitions. I use historical references so you understand what's going on in these places. Who's Paul talking to? Well, in his salutation, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, was an apostle. It's an ambassador to Jesus who is that other king, according to Peter. That, you know, according to Acts, there's this other king, according to John, John, who wrote the Gospels, you know, this is the, according to Pontius Pilate. This is the King of the Jews. Jesus is the King. To say Christ is to say he's the King, because that's the Anointed, that's the Messiah, that's the Messiah. And there are worth the tens of thousands of families all across the Roman Empire that said Jesus was their king. Now, a lot of modern Christians say that Jesus is their king, but if they need anything, they go to the men who exercise authority and take away from their neighbor to provide them with welfare. That's not a Christian practice. That's not ethical, according to John the Baptist. And so that's a spotted religion. That's the religion of the world. And you you have to turn around from that and go the other way. That's going to take some serious turning around. But anyway, Paul, this apostle of Jesus Christ, the king of Judea, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints, which are in all Achaia, He says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's not just writing Corinth. He's writing to all the saints. That's the separate people, the people that are separated out. That's the ministers of the church because the church is called out. They had to be separate. They could not be a part of the world. The congregants might be a part of the world. They might be a slave to somebody they might be a subject citizen in in Corinth or in Ephesus or whatever, and they have contractual obligations uh on a civil basis or on a personal basis to other people that 's not the saints. the saints have to be separate, and there was a way in which they could become separate they 're not saints like we think of you know, like the pope makes somebody a saint and and all this stuff they just means they 're separate they're they're called out to provide this function of the Jesus Christ's government on earth that is sometimes called the church. Keia is all of Greece. Actually, what we would think of as Greece today, it would be all of that. But Greece was not a single nation. It was a lot of different city-states. So... He's taught this letter was going to be circulated way outside of Corinth so it wasn't just to Corinth Corinth so in verse 3 we see blessed be God even the father of our Lord Jesus the Christ the king that's what it means the father of mercies and the God of all comfort all comfort what is this word comfort you know isn't the Holy Spirit supposed to be our comfort? Comforter? Well, of course it is, because the church was run by the Holy Spirit, hopefully. That's why I want you to be led by the Holy Spirit, because you really can't be a part of the church, or the congregation of the church, or the church in general, unless the Holy Spirit is with you. You can say, you know, I want to be a part of your church. I want to be a part of his church. I want to be a part of the church established by Jesus Christ. I want to live by faith, hope, and charity, not force fear and violence the way my church over here, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Catholics have said I could do. I could, you know, go to church and feel good, but then I could go to the men who exercise authority who force my neighbor to contribute to my welfare. That's what Christians would not do but modern christians are told they can do that every day and they're still saved but they're actually the many that christ says are workers of iniquity now i know a lot of people go to these churches deep down in their heart they they're not really thinking coveting their neighbor's goods you know they pay their taxes and they should pay their taxes because they're under these you know civil obligations uh most of everybody i know is i know very few people that have, aren't under such obligations. There are a few. I mean, the Amish don't pay all the taxes everybody else pays because they live differently. They're they're exempt from, you know, Obamacare. They were exempt from day one because they were already taking care of one another. All Christians should have been taking care of one another and then all Christians would have been exempt from day one. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't have even passed. (laughs) If If everybody who said they were Christians were actually doing what Christ said to do, the world would not look the way it does today. You would not have the chaos. I mean, only 5% of the Roman Empire ever really became Christian. And it altered the direction of the world. The problem is, is that there's probably less than 5% of the people claiming to be Christians really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that ethical practice of pure religion. But anyway, so what is this comfort? Well, it, it, it's paraklesis is, is the word. And uh, it has to do with being con- consolation, and they they define it in a number of ways. It's a calling near, a summons, importation, supplication, entreaty. And so, what is Christ calling you to? He's calling you to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, that's when they say this comforter. It's it's not translated comforter, but a few times uh, or comfort. But a few times, like I say, most of the time it's translated consolation or exhortation. If we go back to uh, that uh, verse 3 and we're looking at that. So he says that, and the God of all comfort, calling you to him, calling you to his ways. He says, who comforteth us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort "...them which are in any trouble by the comfort, wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God, for as the suffering of Christ abound in us, so our consolation," that's the same word again, comfort, "...and aboundeth by Christ." So what's he talking about in that sentence? He's talking about, we're taking care of one another. In our tribulation, our trouble, you know, our husband dies, uh, our wife dies, we need help with the kids, cause we gotta go out and work, we, we got a little baby here, uh, we, you know, our crops failed, uh, we were robbed, uh, we're beat up, uh, we're thrown into prison, help us out. We're comforting one another, and when we do that, then God will hear our cries and send miraculous intervention in our own life and in the life of the society in which we are caring for one another, which was this church in general. And that's what he's telling. And they know that because, see, these Corinthians that he's writing and these people all over Greece that he's writing are actually taking care of all the social welfare of one another in a networking society. I mean, you see Paul taking funds from Galatia and taking funds from Corinth. He writes about this and we'll see that. And even accompanying men who are taking funds from Corinth to Jerusalem to to give to Jerusalem because they would have needs. And then, of course, if Jerusalem's needs were met, they would redistribute it all around, even to Ephesus when they had needs because Ephesus would, was going to eventually have needs even though it was one of the richest places to be, all these systems were breaking down as time went on. And the church was in place just in the nick of time, over the next few hundred years, to not only survive the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, but thrive during that decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And that's what we're going to tell you a little bit about as we continue through Second Corinthians, when we return to keys of the kingdom after another brief, brief break be there we'll be right back so we're in second corinthians looking at the very first uh chapter and of course uh, we've said many times there are no chapters in a letter uh those divisions are put in there by man and it's that's fine for finding your way around but you have to be careful that they do, don't divide the word <laughs> by dividing it into chapters that this is one letter to a large group of people that were in Greece to tell them how to operate in the government of God and how the government of God works so that you can take care of one another. And in this, these verses from uh, verse 3 down through verse 6, we see a a word that keeps appearing over and over again, comfort, uh, comforteth, uh, consolation. These are all... Forms of the same word, which is this uh, paraklesis uh, as a noun or as a verb, it's uh, parakaleo, and uh, that that word as as a verb, it's translated beseech uh, more times than anything else, but also occasionally comfort, uh, exhort, desire, pray, entreat, all all those words that you. That I just mentioned are translations of that same single Greek word. And so this is to remind you, and it means to call to one side, to call for, to summon. That's actually what it means. So besiege has a little bit of that in the, in the word besiege. But comfort, how does comfort mean to call to one side, to call for, to summon? To address or to speak to somebody. How does comfort do that? Well, you can stretch the word and kind of come up with that. But knowing that original word and then reading the text can help you understand more. As a noun, uh, you know, it, it can mean to beseech or comfort even exhort somebody. At least that's what the definition, I'm just reading the definition, so I'm not making this stuff up. It means a calling near or summoning of someone. So how is this comfort that we see mentioned here over and over again in, you know, several times, oh, in, in verse, uh, three we see it once, in verse four we see it, uh, three times, four times, and, uh, in different forms. So this is this is the wholeness of this this paragraph. We find the word again in the second paragraph in verse 7. And uh, so to understand what they're saying, they're talking about drawing one another near, comforting one another, beseeching one another in times of tribulation. Well, why how does that draw us near? It's because we're actually those Christians were actually taking care of the needs they come about during tribulation hard times and there were a lot of hard times starting to come by waves through the roman empire because of climate change (laughs) and crop failures uh rome rose to prominence during a warming period that was in excess of what we see today it was actually making uh farms more successful and uh Agriculture was more successful and, and trees were growing higher up on the mountains according to Tacitus because it was warming. This warming tr- trend was helping the people way up north in Germany. They were having bumper crops and life was good and hunting was good and, and, uh, because of the fact that there was this warming trend that would change and there would be a cooling trend that would reach kind of maximum around 500 AD. It would become so devastating. People were actually eating each other because there were no crops anywhere, from one from China to Europe, and uh, it was devastating to society. And then they rose it. There was another warming trend, and there was another cooling trend. None of this had to do with the activities of mankind, but surviving it would have a great deal to do with the activities of mankind. But anyway, we see this word mentioned over and over again, comforting, drawing near, because they were actually taking care of one another. And this is creating the bonds of religion. Religion in the Latin comes from religiere, which means to rebound, to bind again. And a lot of people say, oh, well, that means religion is binding you up. Well, Real religion, pure religion, does bind you, but it binds you in honor and faith and love for one another because pure religion is taking care of one another in times of tribulation through faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and violence. It is, it is the opposite of the binding of the world that binds you by contracts, binds you by debt, binds you by exercising authorities over you where now you become subject, you have to pay in, all these things bind society too, but it doesn't bind a strong society. It actually creates a weak society, and it weakens the poor in the ways of righteousness, in the ways of ethical caring for one another. This is the message of the gospel, showing you the, this difference. Now, there's actually two words, we might as well mention it at this time, two words in The Latin language that are both translated from time to time into religion. And the other one is uh, superstitio. Which has to do with what a lot of people think of religion today. They think of religion as what I think about God. That's your opinion about God. Your opinion of God doesn't change God one bit. It's just your opinion. It's your superstitio. It's what you believe. Now, it may be close to the truth. But it may be far from it. They can't, cause if you look at it all, the religions and what people think about God, even atheists, what they think about God is their superstitio, it's what they believe about God. <laughs> it's, it, they, everybody can't be right, cause there's a huge conflict in what they think about God, and heaven, and their religio, their superstitio. But real religion, Threskia and the Greek, religiere in the Latin has to do with performance of your duty to God, whoever he is, and to your fellow man. And that's what, because Threskia has to do with what you do. And, you know, I pointed out before there's a group of people that consider themselves a religion and they actually call themselves Threskians. Threskians. And what they do is they, like, dance around. I don't know all of what they do, but at least some of what they do is They dance around campfires and things because they know that religion has to do with action and they think that that is religion dancing around the campfire. Religion is taking care of one another during tribulation, comforting one another, helping one another. And when we hear the cries of our neighbor and help our neighbors, God will hear us and send additional miraculous comforting to us as a society and as individuals because if you go back to the old testament we have articles up that about cry out and 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 God says flat out you go to uh first samuel uh, chapter 8 that if you decide to have a ruler who can exercise authority a chief executive officer a king or whatever who can exercise authority and force the contributions of your neighbor he's going to end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking this idea of god hearing you and comforting you miraculously spiritually internally externally with the miracles that god can provide comes when you hear the cries of your neighbor when in second samuel or 1 samuel chapter 8 he says that because you want a ruler who can exercise authority one over the other, something Christ forbid, that he's going to become corrupted by the power you give him, which is what we talked about earlier. And he's going to take and take and take and take and take. He's even going to take your sons and daughters. And when you cry out, God says, I'm not going to hear you. That's pretty much where we're at right today. Now as as a general society and as you know the false modern christianity that is pervasively saying that it is christianity that's where they're at today. Now if they want God to hear them they have to hear the cries of one another and that's that comforteth. That's that consolation. That's that drawing near one another, binding one another to with each other through free will offerings through actual care, through comforting one another in these times of tribulation. This is what the early church is, was doing. This is where you've got to go to to show the real repentance that Christ John the Baptist and everybody else was calling us to. And the modern church is seems to be almost oblivious to. They help one another out a little bit but christians help one another out entirely through faith hope and charity that's the goal that's where all the ministers need to be wanting to help you get to and they're not there to comfort and tickle your ears that's not the consolation we're looking for so and and he says in here And whether we be afflicted, back to those tribulations, it is for your consolation, drawing together, and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer, and whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So, there, the, this is the government ministers of the church that are providing the social welfare for the people through faith, hope, and charity as servants of servants of servants. And that the hierarchy of the church is not really anarchy over people. It's not people over people because we're forbidden to exercise authority one over the other. Christ said that very clearly in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and really also in John. That we're not to exercise authority. So the highest amongst you, he says, is the servant of servants of servants. So how do we get to that point? Christ commanded that we sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, or there was no going to be any loaves and fishes. He commanded that his ministers, that he had been training up, his disciples, that he had been training up to be the ministers of his kingdom. He had already sent out 70, but now he has got these apostles and others there that are meeting with what appears to be uh, 5,000 families, uh, which is maybe 20,000 people. He says, okay, come make the people sit down in tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now, they can't go around and say, you sit with him and you sit with him. You have to decide individually how you're going to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And the way they did that was they would pick a minister. That minister would pick, get together with 10 other ministers like himself, and he they would pick a minister that minister would get together with nine other ministers actually by the, like themselves and they would pick a minister and they would do this until they had thousands and thousands of people in this network and then they rightly divided the bread from group to group from house to house through that network this is the way the early church was organized This is what we're trying to do. And a lot of people still haven't got this figured out because they've still got the idea of an authoritarian church where the pastor is somebody who sits above everybody else. No, he's the foot washer. He's down on his knees serving everybody else. When they're hungry, he's hungry. (laughs) When they're, where they're suffering, he's suffering uh because he is a servant of their household not a ruler of their household and so we we lay this out we have some paperwork now they didn't probably have any paperwork when they were out there with the loaves and fishes and the paperwork's not for us we our consolation our comforting our beseeching our drawing near one another is when we actually take care of one another save one another because you don't go to church to be saved. You go to church to save others. And in that hearing the cries of others, God will hear you. That's that's the road to salvation. Because they clearly says he's not going to hear you. If you've gone the other way, and the fact is most modern Christians have gone the other way they've gone to the men who exercise authority they you know they want to uh, you know elect a president or a prime minister or or some sort of government to provide their salvation their social welfare. Christians did the reverse they they elected ministers to be their servants, truly I mean. You know, your public servants call themselves public servants, but they're out there making laws and rules and regulations. And, you know, I I just heard a story this last week where some police chased a guy who held up, you know, barricaded himself in somebody else's house in order to get him out. They blew up the house, literally destroyed the house (laughs) to get this guy up who was held up in the house. Now they probably could have done something a little different, but the courts just ruled that the police are not liable for destroying that man's house. They had a right to take away his house and destroy it in order to do what they wanted to do. That's not government servants that's not servants of the people that's destroyers and that's what you're seeing. I got a communication from somebody in Santa Domingo who's having a, I mean there's huge problems going on in South America and Chile now. Those problems are going to keep coming up this way. And you will see a manifestation of those problems coming up this way eventually, actually in earth changes that will come up this way. (laughs) I'm way up in the northern hemisphere. And so if you want God to hear you, you have to hear the cries of others. If you want to hear the cries of others, you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And the paperwork we have is not for you. It's for the world. Is for the protection of those ministers. And this letter of the epistle is, it's a letter of determination to the saints, to the ministers of this network of charity, which Christ established as the kingdom of God on earth. And it's saying eventually, gonna say, T- Timotheus is one of us. And he's, he, we saw that in first Corinthians as well. And that's paperwork. That's what our paperwork is saying. But it's, it's saying it in the terms of today so that people can understand it. And when we get down to the next, uh, paragraph, uh, after this, this one that we're gonna call consolation is testimony of your conscience. It's your relationships that bind you, that beseech you, that comfort you. And they have to be ethical relationships according to the teachings of John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, and Paul. And right now, they're not. That needs to be where we're going. Go to uh, verse 7. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the suffering, the sacrifice, so shall ye be also the consolation because this is a mutual thing within your local congregations. But then you have to care about the next congregation as much as you care about your own, which is what we see Paul doing, taking funds from Galatia to Corinth and from Corinth to uh, Jerusalem and to all over the Roman Empire, helping one another out. Not just isolated home churches, but a network that covered all over the Roman Empire. Which made it so that no matter how bad things got where you were, there was always some place for you to go. You don't have that today. The only place you have to go, for the most part, except for maybe the Amish, is the state. And uh, that's not a good thing. Because the state doesn't operate by love. It operates by force. So when you go to them, expect more force. Because that's what they have to offer. If they can take everything you have away from everything your neighbor has to provide for you, destroy his home, to provide for you, for your public safety, they can take everything you have away from you to provide for somebody else. And, of course, they're not servants. They're rulers. And so you're going to get a different result. And we see that result coming down and people are... Warring against it and arguing against it and yelling, what about the Constitution? Well, we write about that as well. But let's go on to verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, in so much that we despaired even of life. They thought they were going to die, actually. Part of this week, there was a time this week where I thought I might die, (laughs) but God has carried me through. There are other people that I'm in contact with in the network that are undergoing tremendous trials and tribulations. And I don't want you to be ignorant of them, but I'm not going to tell you about it right now. I tell people about it occasionally within the network, but not to the general, because I, I don't cast all these things out to everybody on a radio broadcast. I'm going to share it with people on an individual basis as they show up and sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. He also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks many be given by many on our behalf. So he's actually moving funds around and and, and that sort of thing. And there were people that were helping him out during their trials and tribulations. I mean, he was Lord by this basket to escape from people who were going to bludgeon him in the reality is is that what he's trying to tell you is that because they care for one another that God cares for them and because we give these gifts for one another take the time to sit down and find out who needs what where and when that God also provides for us. It sets in motion the quantum mystical powers of God when we're actually doing what Christ said. Most churches are not really doing what Christ said. They're about feelings. They're about filio, which even thieves and robbers have. They're not about agape. They're not about the charity that makes us a stronger society. And strengthens us as families, as communities. Verse 12, which I, is the beginning of a, a paragraph I call testimony of our conscience. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not the fleshy wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you, ward, toward you. So what does he mean by our conversation in the world? The world there, the word there is not age, not inhabited places, but constitutional order or system of government. So their interaction with the world has been this conversation, This this interaction it has been through the grace of God. Not according to fleshly wisdom. So this is why I say it's not just study that's gonna, you know, even when it says study to show thyself approved, the word there for study is not the normal Greek word for study. It's not translated study anywhere else in the Bible. It's translated normally be diligent. So you're not being diligent in the way of Christ if you're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds and thousands and taking care of all the social welfare of your networking society. You're simply not following what Christ said to do or what the early church was doing. In this chapter here, we mention the word grace. And that, that word grace is something that is worthy of being studied and understanding. This whole idea of grace and taking care of one another. I mean, the word grace, charis in the Greek, is where we get the word charity. Uh, the word that we have for charity is the word agape oh, which is actually has to do with this love. So what is this grace that, that they're talking about all the time? I mean, it's it it appears as grace about 130 times. As favor is about six times. Thanks is about four times, or some form of thanks about ten times. It has to do with goodwill, loving kindness. What is due? to grace, what is due to this kindness. Uh, what he's saying, if we're going to actually sit down on the tens, hundreds, and thousands as Christ commanded and take care of one another, that there is not only our grace for one another, our loving kindness for one another, but God, again, hearing our voice in our own cries, his loving kindness to us. You you start the flow of God's grace to you by extending your grace to others. That means you have to allow others to make their choices. And uh, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Everybody's not gonna do things the way you want them done. They're gonna do them the way, and you have to allow them to do that. And everything that we create in the structure of the, uh, of our network, which is His Church, it it's the way the early christians were organizing themselves is based on individual choices there's nobody ruling one over another neither does the congregation rule over the minister nor does the minister rule over the congregation there we have things that we call overseers and which is uh, we have, see that word in the new testament and if you, i don't like the word because as soon as you see it, it, it say it, it sounds like, you know, some sort of taskmaster who is an overseer. But they aren't that kind of overseer. They're there to help protect you from the world. And Paul makes reference to that in Second Corinthians. But let's just go ahead and go on with this looking at this uh rejoicing by the grace of God that he's talking about. And he says, as also ye have acknowledged us in part that we are your rejoicing even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. This acknowledgement, this recognition, two or more witnesses is the basis of what we set up as the church today. And it's what they were doing back then. We'll be right back. Well, Welcome back. To the kingdom, And we're in the second Corinthians and looking at a particular chapter one and the paragraph testimony of our conscience. And this I, I was going to lead into this in a way so that I can finish up this idea. I don't know if we'll get into the second benefits, uh, which is the last paragraph of this chapter. But because there's a lot contained in this one chapter, this word acknowledge, it only appears like 20 times in the King James Bible, but most of the time where you see this word, uh, this acknowledge word, it, it appears in Corinthians. And the problem is, is it's, it's not always translated acknowledge. <laughs> it's translated in a lot of different ways. And it's, it's from a particular Greek word that is actually composed of two different Greek words, which is epi and the word gnosis, knowing, uh, the knowledge of something. He's talking about this acknowledgement here in 2 Corinthians. And he says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and goodly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly toward you. For we write none other things unto you than what we read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end, as also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are your rejoicing. What, because they bring aid during times of tribulation. We, they But all tribulation is not financial. It's not necessarily food. But of course, if you get no food and you starve to death, all other rejoicing is gone because you're God. <laughs> so that's an important part of it. But it's also food for the spirit. Man does not live by bread alone. But... The church was the source of all the free bread for Christians. They did not go eat the free bread of Rome because Rome exercised authority one over the other. Modern Christians do that all the time. There's a division here that is very hard for a lot of modern Christians to look at because they have to look at their own sin. What sin is that? They've been coveting their neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other. They want their welfare, they want their social security, they want their free education, they want their free bread, their free medical care, their medical aid through men who exercise authority, who take away from their neighbor or even curse their children with debt by borrowing against the future. That's accepted. In the thinking of most Americans that that's okay to one degree or another. Now, there there's a backlash where they're saying they're taking too much and they want to, you know, not have Obamacare, but they do want to have free education through schools. They do want Social Security through, through men who exercise authority and force. They say, well, I paid in because they're not willing to forgive. You know, I I paid in. I forgive them. They keep that money because I know it's all gone anyway, it doesn't exist anymore. it's all been spent. I don't want them borrowing money to take care of me. so I don't collect Social Security, which is mandatory for me this year. Uh, I'm supposed to take it no matter how much money I earn, which is almost nothing because <laughs> I live rather poorly, but they don't they, they want to force me to take that. Of course I won't take it. I haven't taken any of these checks that they've sent me over the years. I, they don't send me any social security check, but over the years I've done things you know like low income credit because I had low income for a couple of years because I I moved, and they wanted to send me money I hadn't paid in. Well, I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't cash the check. I had jury duty. They wanted to send me money for that. They sent me the money. I I wouldn't cash the check because I don't I don't I just I didn't understand how things worked. I just couldn't see myself taking that I didn't have a right to that money and so that I, I acknowledge that I didn't have a right to it. they said I did but I didn't feel like it so I didn't go that way I've gone another way and because I didn't go that way I think I see things that other people have not seen but I'm looking for those who are willing to see who have eyes to see and ears to hear and to bring them together so that they may learn to comfort one another in consolation with one another, which is what Paul is talking about, what the Corinthians were doing, what modern Christians are not doing. But anyway, back to this acknowledgement thing. He says, for we write none other things unto you than what we read or acknowledge. And I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. Because you acknowledge us in part. How do they acknowledge them in part? Because they contribute to them and they take those funds and help others. This is what we do with what we call the Sacred Purpose Trust Forum. One individual recognizes a minister. He acknowledges that this is my minister. I will give to him for the purposes of Christ and I want to see him take those funds and use it according to his own conscience to help others. And that's what that minister should be doing. And the congregant should be observing him do that. And they have a consolation, a drawing together in doing this work of Christ, which is the practice of pure religion. Most of those ministers are not separate from the world. They aren't the saints that Paul is writing, the which only means men who are separate. People who are separate. How did they get separate? Well that, we, we go into that in other places. But they're not of the world. I don't have a social security number that I could depend upon. I've given it back. Paid everything I owed and then some. And I gave it back when I entered the ministry of Christ. When I began to follow Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit in Christ according to His church and the rules set down by Christ. And I show in the law, we do it in books that we have published free online. You can download the whole book and read it. You don't have to pay me anything. We give it away for free. Show you how that you come out of the world, not be of the world, but now you have to be doing the work of Christ. It's not just coming out of the world. It's doing the work of Christ, serving Christ. And you serve Christ by serving others. So we show... so. A person fills out that form, they write it down, they make some sort of an exchange and acceptance, and then they send us that form. And we acknowledge that form by what we read <laughs> or acknowledge of what we see. If I'm standing right next to you, I can see all this thing taking place. If If I'm not standing next to you, then I'm going to depend upon what you write me. So I can read it and what, and I can contact the congregant, I can contact the minister because that's part of the deal is that we need to know how to get a hold of them and find out if they're really doing what Christ said. And then I can acknowledge them, which we call acceptance. And that's a process. And we explain that in the book, Free, The Free Church Report, show you how the early church was organized and how that can be organized today if you will repent and seek the kingdom of God, which is a, a government of love, agape, where your, your charity is taking care of one another in times of tribulations and difficulties and what, what have you. Unfortunately, most of even our congregants is still somewhat spotted by the world because they don't do it all. But you has to start somewhere. And, of course, John the Baptist started somewhere. But when John the Baptist came along, the Essenes had already for 300 years had created a network that reached from Greece to Judea to to Ephesus that was taking care of one another through charity. This is, this. Is, the Romans knew about them. They didn't call them Essenes all the time, but they knew about them. The Greeks knew about them. And they were doing this by charity, and they were well recognized. Augustus recognized them. Augustus Caesar recognized them. They were exempt from taxes when moving funds from one part of their network to the other. And so were the early Christians. They were excluded from the taxes. And they still are today when they're moving those funds from one to the other. But you have to, the world loves to read too. And so that's why we create the paperwork. We don't, your bonds are bonds of love for one another in the daily practice of what Christ said to do. But the world wants to see paper. That's our prima facie. So we create the paper because we love the people of the world. We love our enemies even. And we want them to, we create the paperwork to protect so that there isn't confusion when the ministers are doing what Christ said, and that's our witness and our acknowledgement. But that's a process, and it requires your participation. But it's a free society, so nobody's going to make you do these things, And but you can't make us do things either, because we have to do it according to what Paul says. Testimony of our conscience, what God has led us to do. There is no, you can't force us to recognize or acknowledge. You have to allow us to make that choice according to the Holy Spirit, just as we allow you to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands according to the leading of the Holy Spirit in you. But yet we are commanded, the only place that Christ commands people is commanded to require that people sit down in those tens, hundreds, and thousands before there's any loaves and fishes. We're still way back a hundred years before John the Baptist, still a voice crying in the wilderness, trying to get you to live by love and faith instead of the delusion of modern religion. Last paragraph. We may have time. <laughs> so, uh, verse 15 in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And in this confidence, because this is referencing the chapter before, I was minded to come unto you before that ye might have A second benefit. And to pass by you in Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way towards Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Now, we're going to talk about that more, but we'll just make a note there. Lightness. What's he talking about? Lightness. Or... The things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached amongst you by us, even by me, and Silvanus, and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in Him was yea. So there, he, that's, Paul is sometimes wordy. He's saying they're preaching Christ. This is we're we're not debating you. We're we're preaching what Jesus Christ said, and Jesus said not because of what you say, but because of what you do. So Paul is preaching that same thing and we see that over and over again although many modern Christians want to say oh no, it's not what you do. You don't have to earn salvation. You just believe in Jesus. But Paul tells us that you need to test your faith. Do you really believe in the real Jesus? Do you believe in the real religion of Jesus? Or the false religion of the Pharisees? Or the false religion of those who force their neighbor to contribute to the welfare of their their needs that's false religion that's the religion of the world we're not to be spotted by that religion we're supposed to be doing it by faith, open charity not force, fear and violence Jesus Christ who was preached amongst you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timetheus was not yea and nay but in him was yea that's the key We're not dividing the people with all the denominations we see out there in the world. We're not a denomination. We're just people trying to conform to what Christ really said. For all the promise of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establishes us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us in God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not to that we have dominion over you, over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. By faith ye stand. Because they're living by faith. They're not living by force. They're taking care of one another through charity. Not through compelled offerings. Not through the Corbin of the Pharisees. But the Corbin of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ. We sacrifice daily for one another because pure religion is not only loving God. And fulfilling our duty to God. But also our duty to our fellow man, which according to God is to love him, agape him, take care of him, to be your brother's keeper in the sense of caring for your brother, not your brother's keeper in the, in the sense of controlling your brother and brutally brutalizing your brother, forcing your brother to contribute to your welfare. Socialism which has become pervasive in the minds of the youth of today, it's accepted by more than half of the youths. even many of them advocate communism, which is just a, an extreme form of socialism, believe that it is a good thing to force their neighbor. They excuse it by saying, oh, we only want to force the rich. because the rich couldn't afford to pay the kind of... Uh, if you took all the money of all the rich... You wouldn't have enough money to do all the things that they're promising you. You have to borrow against the future to do the things that they're promising you. But nobody does the math. They they don't do their homework. But what they do do is covet their neighbor's goods. You can't. The Christians, rich and poor, sat down together, and those that had extra two coats, three coats, four coats, and or more food shared with those that did not have enough. But they got to do it according to the leading of their conscience. And what they did was the testimony of their conscience. That's what we have to allow people to do, to testify according to their conscience, to give according to what they think they should give. To write what they think they should write. Acknowledge what they think they should acknowledge. According to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It will not always be what you think is right. It will, it may not, you get to say you don't think it's right. But you can't force them to do it. You cannot have a free society unless you acknowledge the freedom of your neighbor to make those choices. And there are some choices the Christian ministry doesn't have. We are commanded not to exercise authority one over the other. We are commanded to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, because there was 5,000 there. And those were not the people, but the families. It was the men, 5,000 men and their families. That's the important that idea of counting people that way is that Pentecost, when it was 2,000, 3,000 who were baptized. Those were families. The heads of the household get baptized, and the whole family was saved. Was counted as a part of this network of salvation that was running through charity. That's what they told the prison guard. You get baptized, you and your whole family are saved. You know, it's it, there's nothing magical in the water. It was saying, yeah, I want to live this way. I want to live according to ethical righteousness of God. And unfortunately, most Christians, they want to live according to the ways of Caesar. Not according to the ways of Christ. That's not a good thing. That kind of a bad thing. And people need to recognize that and understand that and repent of that and go the other way. You cannot have a free society unless you go that way. That's just that's just it. That's just the way it works. Nothing more needs to be said or should need to be said if you are walking according to the Holy Spirit. Well, of course, now they have a, another chapter. That is a second chapter, which is really just a continuation of a single letter. It's not another chapter, but we divide it up so you can find your way around and this, you know, it is 4,000 word 4,400 word. Our pamphlets that we offer free online and, and we give away and we mail out. I mean, you can buy them but you're just paying for the printing and mailing when you buy them. But you can print them out yourself. You can download the PDFs and take them. But they're about 5,000 words, so they're about the, there are, they are our epistles to you about some of these different topics. But the first, this second chapter begins with the word but, so you know that he's, this is in reference to what he just said. But I determined this with myself that I would not come again to you in heaviness. Remember that word lightness that we mentioned before? That he, that he wanted to come in lightness, not heaviness. Well what, what was the heaviness that he's talking about? Well, in 1 Corinthians, which is maybe not the last time, there was at least four, like I say, letters to Corinth. But heaviness, he was very critical. He was telling them, you know, giving them those long lists. You know, if you guys are doing any of this stuff, you don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. All the things in those lists, I can find in the modern church. On a regular basis. But all the righteousness that I find in the early Christianity, I also find in the modern church on an individual basis. But he's just telling them in this letter, I don't want to be scolding all of you. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me, and I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came... I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. What he just said there is summed up in "As Many as I love, I also rebuke. He didn't write that stuff to put them down. He wrote that stuff in 1 Corinthians to help them so that they may be raised up by conforming to the ways of Christ. And all the things that I say about the fact that most Christians today, because that's what it says, many shall say they're coming in my name, but I know them not, because they're actually workers of iniquity, and they, I, I don't even know them. I didn't say that. Christ said that. And unfortunately, many Christians are self-deceived, because they're not following the ways of Christ. And Paul was preaching the ways of Christ first. Timotheus was preaching the ways of Christ first. you have to do what Christ said. You are to take care of one another without exercising authority one over the other. But by love, by charity. If you're not doing it by charity, you're not doing what Christ said to do. So we get into the next paragraph of this chapter 2. And it says, But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me. But in part, that I may not overcharge you all, sufficient to such a, a man... "...is the punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow." In other words, he he explained to these people that, oh, you can't be doing this, 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 and and you should be doing this, 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 and that was heavy on them. And that's what I'm saying to you. But I'm not telling you to cast out people that are of the world. I'm telling you should be forgiving. Because forgiving is a keen part of agape. It's a keen part of grace. But know where you're going. This is an individual walk together. You have these other people there so you can forgive them. So that's the process. And we'll continue this next time. And if you want to join the network, go to hisholychurch.org and do so. Until then, God bless. Peace be upon your house.
0: You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.